welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, sexuality, and feminism. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Ryan, and today we have with us professor, performer, and feminist as fuck, Alicia Swizz. Hey, Alicia. Hey. Yeah. Hey. It was a great intro. Sweet. It was good. Uh, <laughs> we, I think we ruined it by acknowledging how good it is. No, no, never. But, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do around town. Uh, yeah, I am a professor at Harold Washington College, one of the city colleges. Holler, nice. yeah. I teach uh, media and pop culture in the humanities department. And my background is women's and gender studies. So I teach those things through like a gender lens. I love movies and pop culture generally but movies specifically and then I do some performing around town usually in a comedic genre I host a comedy showcase called feminist happy hour at the whistler and then I do another show called slut talk which is more true storytelling and is about kind of destigmatizing the narrative and the shame around women's sexuality Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we're very excited stuff. to have you here today. Thank it you. Does, it feels like a perfect fit. Yeah, right? Yes. I know. Um, so I'm curious, how do you feel about horror as a genre, given that you know you have so much experience dissecting media? Yeah, that's funny. Well, a lot, I have a really good friend from grad school who horror was her thing. And that was really the first time I kind of started being a little more open to horror. I never liked horror movies from a young age because, well, I grew up in the 80s. You know, I was like elementary through middle, mostly Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And so um, I remember the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, maybe the kind of like later Halloweens of that era. And I remember just from a young age, like women always being naked and always getting killed. Mm -hmm. And I I remember identifying with that. I remember just being like, you're already so vulnerable and then you have to like protect yourself in this way. And then as I, you know, kind of grew up and grew into more of an advocate and did enjoy so much of pop culture, I was just like, this is just not going to be where I live, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like in horror films. But I definitely can appreciate them. And there are some that I have certainly found fascinating and interesting. And I've been really enjoying listening to the podcast. Oh, Even awesome. without seeing the movies. Oh, that's so funny. Now I don't need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> we do go deep into spoilers. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm into it. I'm curious, too, because you mentioned, you know, like having this idea of horror from the 80s. And also, I just want to say, like, thank you for, like, saying you grew up in the 80s. Because I feel like <laughs> so many women in comedy are like, oh, what, me? I'm 23. Oh, like, my God, I've been no. 23 forever. Like, quit lying. I, I, yeah, I age, like, I'm really short, too, and, like, I've always just felt, like, age and height, like, not things I'm gonna lie about. They're never gonna change. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm 37, I'll be 38 next month. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thanks. I'm 36, and I feel like I love being in dirty 30s, you know? Yes. Agreed. (laughs) Better than the 20s, overall, as a whole. Oh, my God, every time I see a group of women in their 20s, I just want to, like, stroke their face and be like, it's gonna be okay. I know. Oh, little man. babies, precious little babies. Yeah. But uh, your first memories of horror were these like kind of slasher. Do you remember the first horror movie you saw when you were a kid? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I, I, I'm i going to go with, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I'm going to go with like Nightmare on Elm Street. Like probably mm. whatever one came out in like 83, 84. Mm-hmm. Like um, it's quite possible I like went to the movies with a babysitter. Like I, my mom worked like single mom. Or whatever would have been like on basic cable in that era. Mm Because that was a lot of where I caught my media was um, 
either like at babysitters' houses, the teenager babysitter down oh, the yeah. street, yeah, or uh, <laughs> like when we when we were at my dad's house. But like he had HBO, so we were more into like. Well, I guess I could have seen it on HBO at my dad's house too. But oh, yeah. either way, I would say one of the early Nightmare on Elm Streets. I I was deathly afraid of Freddy Krueger. Like, oh and yeah. I remember the one where they did the song, one, two, Ooh, yeah. Freddy's Ew. come. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, I still, like, I just gave myself goosebumps singing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was awful. Yeah. Creepy. I think I was also drawn to horror as a kid just because it was overly sexual also. And I was just like a pervert. So I was like, oh, these movies are great. So I know I think that's really interesting because I, I, I also have like my sexuality stuff came out later in life too. And I always mm-hmm. grew up with kind of like a fear mm. of sexuality which is kind of what where this movie sort of stems from and I remember also seeing um Fast Times at Ridgemont High at like too young of an age not the whole thing but um there's the scene where it's not it's nothing aggressive but it's the scene after what's her name Stacy uh can we curse Oh, yeah. Stacy Fox DeMuto or whatever his name is in the pool house he's like the cool guy Mm -hmm. what's his name I don't know but He's like leaving and she's laying there on the couch with a top on but no bottoms. And it's just this, and it's Jennifer Jason Lee. She's really young and in the film and I think she definitely looked pretty young at that age. And it was just this image of this woman being like walked away from laying there naked after they had just had sex. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my family's not super religious, but, you know, there's old school Italian Catholic like guilt in there. So, yeah. You know, something about, oh, this woman's poor virginity. Yeah. And abused and thrown aside. Right. Which I certainly at least view Fast Times from Richmond High through a different lens now. Like at that. But that scene still is kind of gross. So yeah, I felt like there was always this like grossness beyond just the slasher element. That was just this the sexuality to me kind of grossed me out. Yeah. So I think it's cool that you liked it because of that. (laughs) What do you remember liking? Do you have like a sex scene you remember from a horror movie? Um, you know, nothing in particular. It just kind of came to mind right now as we were yeah. talking. Like, because I remember being obsessed with horror as a okay. kid. And when you said HBO, my mind lit up like, oh, that's the smart All right, we'll channel. think on that. We did yeah. used to watch Tales from the Crypt on HBO. Oh, I love that And show. I was a little more into that. And I do remember the sexuality in that being a little more like porny. Yeah, And sure. that was a little more evocative <laughs> to me. Like, they weren't, these women weren't getting like beat up or tortured, oh, no. yeah, really. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're bringing that back, I heard. Oh, really? Yeah, Tales oh, from the awesome. Crypt, side note. The Crypt awesome. Keeper is back. All right. Well, for us today to talk about, Alicia chose The Accused from 1988. Uh, this is a movie about out drinking one night after a fight with her boyfriend, Sarah Tobias, played by Jodie Foster, is brutally raped by three men in a bar while people watch and cheer. District Attorney Catherine Murphy takes the case, however, allows the rapist to receive a mild sentence. A distraught Sarah decides to seek punishment for the men who witnessed and encouraged the rape. To get justice, Sarah must take the stand and revisit the night of her attack in this drama based on true events. And originally when we were talking about which movie to choose, you weren't sure if this was a horror movie. And I have to say, after watching it as a woman, it's totally a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like when I asked you if I could give you a pitch that was kind of out of the realm. Mm -hmm. And then I explained it and you were like, well, that sounds scary as shit or something (laughs) like that. And I was like, yes, you get it. Like, but um, yeah. and, and, And similar to kind of what I just said about Fast Times. I remember the scene. Like, I remember the brutal rape scene from a young age, and it was just, it's been seared on my brain my 
whole life. It's just, it's never gone away. And it's horrific. And I, when we rewatched for the podcast, I was scared to rewatch. Mm-hmm. I waited until the last minute. I watched it during the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I did not watch that scene. Oh. Which luckily comes at the end. Yeah, so yeah. you're going to have to re- refresh me. Well, I mean, I remember I remember it there too. Yeah. Better than uh, I care to, yeah. You know, I'm so naive sometimes. When I started watching it and like when you dive into this film, the scene has already happened. And right. so I was like, oh, maybe it's just like they're not going to actually show it. And right. I was like, oh, sh- nope, I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, yeah, but... I, yeah, and I didn't remember that about where it was in the narrative, and I did appreciate it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made sense, I think, to, instead of retell it, kind of show it, although I'm not mm-hmm. overall an advocate for rape scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, what made you choose The Accused? Um, well, yeah, just the, going back to just like, I don't really have a favorite horror film. So when I was thinking what horror film to even pick in that like genre, um, I just went back to this image. I was like, what is like the thing that scared me the most that I remember from pop culture? And this, this rape scene was it like, and just, it was burned on my brain in this way that I've never forgotten. And then to grow up as a woman in the world to have my own experiences to then you know um part of my passion for looking at pop culture and media is to look at the way women are portrayed um and I especially even love to look at teen women you know um and there's just so many parallels to real life issues that we're not even attending to but yet we can have these movies where the narratives you know show them even sometimes in a very like in an important way. Um, yeah, rape scenes can be problematic no matter really how you look at it. Um, and there's a certain audience that needs to see it. You know, if you think about the target audience for this film, which probably isn't who went to see it. But, yeah. You know. I honestly, like, I have such a hard time with that scene. And I like, it makes me feel like the fact that it's based on a true story makes my stomach turn into the biggest knot yeah. ever. Like it's it's an important scene that shocks the viewer and makes the viewer understand what Sarah went through. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah, I read um, this article in my research today that talks about how the scene is five minutes long and that it actually focuses more on the crowd and the attackers, you know, mm-hmm. than her. Um, and it made me think about another great article I read in, um, by, about um, the Orange is the New Black rape scene that happened with Pensatucky, like in mm. season four, I think, and how the author was arguing that it was for a rape scene, you know, in yeah. that structure that's already, you know, highly problematic because it focused more on like her experience. Like it's not, the camera was on her face most of the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't kind of allowing this glorification of the act itself. It was just like focused on the what the victim is kind of going through. I I, I appreciated um, watching it this time around. The, uh, you know, just to continue the horror mm-hmm. narrative, just the whole what rape victims go through after they report the rape. Because the movie oh, starts yes. right with her screaming and running out of the bar. You don't even know how she got away. You don't know what happens. You just know yeah. she's screaming and running out of the bar. And the next like scene, we're in the hospital room with a woman nurse just drilling her with questions. Oh, so many awful questions. So too. many awful questions. The rape victim's advocate woman who basically just stands there and stares at her the whole time. Yeah. And then the lawyer comes in who's like Kelly McGillis, like 
Top Gun fame. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> and she sucks from. the whole okay. movie. <laughs> she really does. The worst. It kind of felt like they put your weird uncle in a wig and were like, here, be a lawyer lady. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> or like the neighbor's dad who was always kind of nice to you but didn't know what was going on. Yeah, Ew. she. it was probably by design, but she did have a very masculine, disattached sure. feel to her, you know. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought about that when you were pointing out like her kind of needing the wins as mm-hmm. a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that blew me away about that scene too is how they were so quickly to be like, oh, we'll just go back to the mill and identify them. Oh my God, right. Continuing the horror. Like it's the night of still, whatever. Because yeah. we can assume maybe she got the, to the bar at like nine-ish and maybe the um, rape happened at like midnight. So now it's like 4 a.m. and it's still open and you know. Yeah. And they, I'm literally watching it today like, no, they're not going to drive this woman to the scene of her rape and ask her in the same room to identify. And she's just with, you know... Like, weird uncle lawyer lady, mm-hmm. and now this, like, prosecutor bad cop guy that looks like a high school principal. Yeah. It's like, what? I, that blows my mind. Do you, do they, do they do that in real life? I mean, does that happen ever? I don't know. I can't I know, even actually. imagine. Do you think that happened to the real girl? Oh, God, I hope not. That's Who? so awful. I, I was also know. blown away by, like, no one in this whole film recommended therapy to her. No, and even like, so one of the things that really blew my mind was um, the first time she hears, what's the first bit of news that she hears via the TV? Oh, God. Something yeah. like about, um, I don't think it's the, it's not It's not when she gets pissed and she, the second part, the very first thing she hears over the TV news is just how like, maybe they're not, just the way they talk about it, just something happens. It's kind of like her being a loose woman in some yeah. way. Like, Attacking her character. Right, right, right. And, um, and, um, you know, the lawyer's like, that's going to happen and they're going to ask you this and they're going to, and it's like, yeah, but why didn't you have this conversation with her before, like, she sees it on the news? And then, again, later with that climactic, like, dinner party scene. Oh, yeah. Which is, again, just another horrific thing, you know, if we're just speaking of horror on that level that happens to this woman who, when all is said and done, is unlike most um, rape victims immediately goes to the police. Like she never hesitates mm-hmm. to report it. And I, I love her character, mm-hmm. especially watching it this time around as like an adult yeah. single woman who works and dances and parties and bars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, and wears short skirts, you know? Yeah. And no bra. Like, yeah. I, that, like watching it, my heart felt so heavy for Sarah's character. Cause yeah. like, They showed her, yeah, exactly. She, you know, after this event, her boyfriend just pretty much is like, well, if you're going to be such a lame-o, I'm going to leave. And then tries to talk to her mom, but her mom is more concerned with the dog. And she's a waitress who's just being treated like shit. And the day that news breaks on the TV, like, she's working a shift and people are being dicks to her. I just, like, wanted to find this woman and hug her. Like, girl. So, I am a waitress. I have been in the bartending service industry since I was 15. Like, Mm. um, in the restaurant bar service side of the industry since I was 15. I've worked in, like, sports bars, corporate restaurants, mom and pop places. I work at a real popular place in Chicago this summer, like, heat of the summer. And just recently, I got two customer complaints. And it was just, like, one of those things where 
first of all, it was like by other women, you know, and it's like who just like, I'm just not sweet enough for, or I'm just not like whatever the thing is, you know. And then it's like, it's just one of those things where it's like, I've realized this is my job and I get that, but like, you have no idea what I'm going through. Like this woman just got brutally raped and has to go like work her shift the next day mm-hmm. where some piece of shit dude is like yelling at her over a hot dog. Yeah. Not to mention, can we talk about the uniform yeah. she had to wear? Oh, God, that, yeah, Tara was, was like an office baseball business suit with heels. <laughs> Which is like Someone's all tables. league of their own and was like, it yes. It was very league of their own, which I just found really ironic. Jodie Foster like easily could have been in a league of their own. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. She was like the one that got away in that film. Did you read Lindy West's book, Shrill? Not yet. Oh, no. she has a piece in it where she reviews a league of their own and she's like, it's a movie that dares to ask the question, what if women could do something? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was great. It was oh, great. shout out to Lindy West. So great. So great. Uh, yeah, I also like. I felt a really heavy class element in this film. So heavy, mm-hmm. and just the horrors of how that can be compounded by your gender. I mean, I guess I can stop calling everything a horror, but I feel like I have to really like <laughs> drill it into the theme. It but is. yeah, and how that can totally be compounded, especially um, in this narrative. And uh, she yells at her at the one point too, like that. I'm just. She says a couple of things, and she's like that. I'm just some slut. Blah blah blah, and mm-hmm. like. Slut is, I mean, that's one of my areas of fascination. And, like, there's definitely that trope in horror, right? Like, the good girl lives, the sluts die, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And Jessica Valenti wrote a great article a couple years ago that I still teach in class that is about how slut is just a gendered term. That's it. Like, the only thing that defines it is being a woman. And then there's other research that shows how it's kind of a classist term, too. Like, um, low-class girls will get called a slut for, like, what they're wearing, whereas... Girls who are like, you know, they did research in like a sorority house. Girls who are like of a upper level class just kind of weren't as open or like kind of muted down their sexuality in the way people perceived it. But they were like sleeping with people just as much, you That's know. Interesting. I yeah. Never so thought it's not it even about way. sexuality. Just like rape isn't about sexuality, which mm-hmm. I also thought this movie really highlighted mm-hmm. yeah once all was said and done because re-watching and watching what happens in the bar before the actual attack like that guy's like a total predator oh yeah but yeah I had a I wrote something down about that too about how her the rape is incited because Sarah's being acting sexually independent yeah because the one guy kisses her when they're still just hanging out playing pinball before they even start dancing and the one guy tries to kiss her and she's like she says like back up or oh knock it off or something like no she does Mm -hmm. she says like knock it off and then and so just this idea that a woman not being interested in you being sexually independent like owning that place and a guy and they just wanted to take it from her like you're how dare you how fucking dare you that scene actually the scene where she's dancing and all the men are just watching her yeah like wolves yeah you know like that and what about that other girl yeah. Too. Like Holy she shit. seemed kind of younger or something. Yeah. Like I couldn't tell where she fit in with the other guy. Mm-hmm. I think it I'm not sure either. Like if it it seemed like he was she was attached to the first rapist in right. some way. Like maybe an ex girlfriend or right. fighting girlfriend. But um yeah, I don't know. But that scene where the men are watching her, like for me in my mind that drove home this idea that I didn't really think about since I was a little kid. It was like, if 
as a woman, you show any ownership over your sexuality or present mm-hmm. yourself as a sexual being, you're inviting shit and you're going to be punished. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was little, if I would walk with my mom or my stepmother, they're both beautiful women, but like if we were going to the beach or something and they were wearing like a bikini top, in my mind, I would just like freak out panic because I knew men were going to scream and like it made me really scared of like our own fucking bodies as women yeah and like that to me is so sad that I had that fear and it's still there like sometimes it's not as bad now but yeah that scene really well and I think it's also really worth talking about and this comes up later when when Kelly McGillis the lawyer what was her name as a lawyer? Uh, Who cares? She was so bland. <laughs> but um, uh, when she's kind of fighting her bo- uh, the other lawyers about mm-hmm. taking it to court, and she's like, she talks about what she looks like, you know, and she's like, and I think like because it's Jodie Foster for you know those listening, you know, she's very petite, mm-hmm. you know, and um, in in the film she has like shoulder length hair, you know, and she's wearing like a tank top with like a denim skirt, and it all fits her body, you know. Um, and I'm a very petite person also. Um, and I've always been really comfortable like in my body, but I've also been always hyper aware of like what my body communicates to others. Like I got boobs really big at a young age Mm. and I just have always been given attention, unwarranted, unwanted attention from like a very young age for my body and how it looks. So it's, I just, and I, it's such a, it's so hard to explain sometimes like how she's the implications of what her body looks like and what that means for even though rape isn't a sexual thing just something about the way she looked or how like maybe just even her size that made these guys think that they could get away with it or that even drew them to it that it wouldn't have been maybe if it was a woman who was like more overweight or a woman of color or a woman who just presented in any different way. Mm-hmm. Not to say those women get, don't get attacked. You know what I mean? Like I, I think it's just one of these like tricks that women who inhabit these like socially acceptable body types are, always are like fighting this like I feel confident and that's a punishment but I was taught that this is like an asset Mm -hmm. you know the way that I look or the way that I present and I can't like operate on that either yeah I mean it's an asset that's valued in our society but like what men do with that value right is terrifying terrifying Oh, man. Yeah, and that's one thing the lawyer points out, too. Like, when she's meeting with the other lawyers, she's like, she is so tiny, jurors will eat this up. And right. that, I think that's really what turned the other lawyers, too. Because they were right. like, oh, shit, we're going to look like monsters. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the lawyers were monsters. <laughs> yeah. Well, it remind me, reminded me, too, of the Duke lacrosse case, because I was living in North Carolina oh, at the time, and that shit. was a woman of color. Oh. And she was a stripper. And they just, I mean, say what we're going to say about that case. It was a mess on so many accounts. The logis- the lawyers mostly are what screwed it all up. But it's like, when that story broke, I mean, my, my first thought was like, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure that that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I just, I just, sometimes I feel like I just, even though this may seem really ignorant, just to like balance the scales, like I just immediately believe the women. Because, uh-huh. like, we so often don't. And it's like, well, let's just flip that scale a little bit, even if it means believing liars every now and then. Because, yeah. Well, and also, like, this 
idea that we can't believe women always blows me away because who wants to come forward and to admit to something that heinous being done to them? Oh, I know. It's so fucked up. It's like, I mean, you hear that all the time about like, like I was just um, talking about Anita Hill because that anniversary recently came up and there was that documentary and I think we were talking about it in class and it, it like one of the narratives around her when she was first accusing Clarence Thomas, you know, and, and always around, you know, these victims stories is uh like she's just doing it for her career you know what a great career move yeah how is this helping her career like this this is this did nothing for monica Lewinsky's career did nothing for anita hill's career she's doing nothing for all these women who have accused bill like never has like been telling the truth especially about something like sexual assault benefited women exactly yeah and especially the role of advocates in this film mm-hmm. made me rip my hair out. Sure. the first advocate we meet is from the Rape Crisis Center. And she walks in and it's pretty much like you feel like you're talking to like a Kmart employee. She's like, Hi. She just like stares at her. <laughs> I'm here from the Rape Crisis Center. Mm-hmm. I can do anything you need. And it's like, working with people who have experienced sexual trauma, you need to build so much trust with them. That's the other reason I believe women because it takes so much trust for someone to come forward and tell you they've been assaulted because to to say that you've been assaulted and that you're a victim, it almost feels a little bit like there's a lot of self-blame. Like you let this Immediately. happen. You know? Yeah. And you feel guilty for having it happen to you and like most people just want to bury it. And never talk about it again. Especially men. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book, We Were the Mulvaney's by Joyce Carol Oates? I haven't. It's a really great, I think it came out in the 90s too. It's a really great story about a girl who's raped and just what it does to her family. And mm. just the inability to talk about it and how the shame that the victims feel and the self-shame, but also just the... And I mean, I felt this for in a moment with you know Sarah's boyfriend in the beginning because he did just kind of go like, I don't... I don't know what to say. What can mm-hmm. I do for you? You know, and yeah. then, you know, a week later when she wasn't over it That's and didn't true. want to fuck yeah. him, you know, he got super pissed. Yeah. Um, but I, what I also think was interesting about that is, and this kind of correlates with what I was saying is, it's this disassociation or this um, disconnect from femininity mm-hmm. in the eyes of other people, you know, because that's just like our gender roles that are so deeply embedded and women, especially I would imagine um, women who date men in particular or intimate with men in particular who seek this extra kind of interpersonal validation in that way um she she does she cuts her hair mm-hmm. um and we see that a lot happen a lot with victims because you feel yeah you feel like you've done something it you whatever it is you know right this petite body that you happen to have this long hair the way you were dressed what Ever the things you did to like bring it on and you just want to kind of completely disassociate from that. And um, I, yeah, I, I really liked that part this time around, watching that mm-hmm. part. Um, and then what happens like after that too. Um, oh, yeah. And that scene is so much more powerful. You're talking about the record store, right? Yes. Okay, so yeah, she goes to the record store and then is harassed by some guy who at first is just like, oh, hey, you're cute. You give me your number? Smile, smile. And then later on, he gets really aggressive about talking about the the rape incident. And it's not till later you realize that this is one of the fuckers who was like cheering and orchestrating the event. 
and she rams her car into his truck and I loved it. <laughs> oh my god. So what is it? Tawanda, right? So fried mm. green tomatoes. Yeah, oh yeah. Um <laughs> well um there's so many things I love about this scene. Like for one thing, it's like after she cuts her hair, because there's very few moments. Um, and you brought this up too, but kind of in a different way. But there's very few moments where you get to like see who Sarah's personality is. Because yes. we meet her fleeing her attack, Ugh, yeah. right? So we never, and everything we learn about her, we just learn through, um, we learn it through how she's handling this situation, which is like a fucking champ. For one thing. And she always is so, like, confident in herself. But I was watching it this time around, and I teach Thelma and Louise in my class. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And when I started teaching it, I forgot about the sexual assault that just triggers that whole plot. Oh, really? Like, the whole movie. Yes, you're... That's exactly what it is. You kind of forget. (laughs) Because it's in the beginning. It doesn't end up happening. But, spoiler alert, may I? Louise shoots the fucker. He's he's attacking Thelma, and she shoots him. And... It, but this movie was 1991. Thelma and Louise was 1991. And this time around, I was watching and I was like, oh my God, Sarah, Jodie Foster's character in The Accused could be Louise. Mm. Because in Thelma and Louise, the whole time you kind of know that something happened to Louise and you get the impression that she was raped. She reported it and it went down like um, like this, like some settlement. No one was accused. And that's why when this happens with Thelma, they kind of take off on the run. Anyway, side note for that wow. movie. But, yeah. right? But so what I loved about the record store moment was we don't know that much about Sarah. So this is one of these moments where we kind of get to know her a little bit. We do know she likes music because when she tells her boyfriend when she gets home from the exam, she's sitting there listening to her headphones. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and she takes her headphones out. And then there's another scene uh, at the end when her friend is going in to talk to the lawyer she puts her headphones on oh yeah so we so that record store scene is one of the first times we they the you know littlest development of that it's after her boyfriend has left she's cut her hair she's got like her cute jeans on I don't know I was like <laughs> yeah. you're cute Sarah like <laughs> yeah. you can still be cute like yeah. you know what I mean like you could get raped and still be cute and like exactly. want to wear lipstick you know and maybe want to date someone eventually you know but she's like, when she's like flipping through the tapes, I was, well, for one thing, just the nostalgia in me was like really enjoying that oh, like yeah. tape record the store moment. The huge ass boombox oh my God. later on. Yes. yes. And the fact that she's driving because, and this is something I teach when we talk about Thelma and Louise is we don't see women driving that much. I mean, definitely more now, but historically, especially in films, it's always men driving, men in the car chases, hmm. men in vehicles. Like that's not something often identified with like women in film. And so, like, in Thelma and Louise, like, Louise, they're in that car the whole time, like a classic car. So to see her in that, I don't even know what it was, like a Trans Am or a Camaro. It was a Camaro, yeah. It was some red Camaro, (laughs) and, like, oh, it was so rad. Um, But, yeah, the flip side of that was just, like, how, and this is what I think a lot of people don't get, and even so much just about, like, catcalling. Like, this is something women deal with every day, all the time. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about a woman who just survived a brutal rape. And has, not only might she run into her fucking attack, her actual rapist, because they're not in jail. They got out on $10,000 bond. Um, but now she's running into this harasser who saw it and who, you know, like, what, is now going to maybe even threaten to rape her? Or who? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole part is so scary. And that guy, it just was so gross because he has... All the power. Mm-hmm. Like, even when he's in the tape store and he first walks up to her and you don't know who he is, he stands so close to her. Yeah. And you're just like, back the fuck 
off me, bro. Like, can mm-hmm. I breathe? Jesus. Yeah. And that character is such a fucking asshole. Such a, I mean, we just see that and we see, and I think that's where the narrative ends up going. And I, that's kind of one of these cool, like kind of horror, like villain conversations, right? Like they kind of ask you to question who is worse, like the rapists mm-hmm. who do the actual raping or all the people who stand around cheering and encouraging like, not mm-hmm. even just the people who silently watch or, like, her friend who was in the other room Ugh, and was like, I just figured they were partying. Like, uh, that lady would not be my friend anymore. I'm yeah, fuck, fuck yeah. that lady. What was her name? Like, Julie or Sally. something? Screw Sally. Mm-hmm. Fuck Sally. Fuck Sally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I do I wish we knew a little bit what Sarah was like before the incident. Right. Because... It, I kind of got the feeling that maybe she was just like a sweet yeah. woman who like she got dealt a shitty hand, but yeah. she was kind of passive. Yeah. I got the um, impression maybe she like left her house kind of young, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, you're living with a boyfriend because that's the easy way to kind of get out of your parents' house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what I saw like evolve in her character, like she became so much more assertive and like showed ownership over her own life so much more uh like kicking her boyfriend out and that dinner scene i just want to say i love the dinner party scene um where she you know she has been given a shitty deal by the lawyer and the lawyer is treating it very much like well this is the best we could get it's business as usual blah 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 well and the lawyer asks for advice from her colleagues who are Mm -hmm. both men yeah so it's like hockey game right at a hockey game which i so macho right that's exactly what it was like totally yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. Like, when we were talking about that and her, like, win aesthetic. And you're like, okay, like, this, she's trying to win it. But it's like, this isn't, that's not the, you know, that's just not what it's about. Yeah, and I felt like this character, I liked the lawyer character in a way because I felt she was very representative of real life. Yes. People in, like, social work positions or just some bureaucracy that originally they're drawn to because of a passion to help people and then they become, I don't know, like sedated and just want to go with the flow with everything and forget that they're actually there to help people. Right. And I feel like the number one sign of that is when you start speaking for people instead of engaging them to be advocates for themselves and tell their own story. And the lawyer gets called out by Sarah for doing that. She said, you did all my talking for me. Yeah. I thought you were on my side. Why'd you do that? And for me, it's like so important to let survivors be their own voice. And I loved that scene. And she just like kicked in the door of the dinner party and was like, you fucked me. And didn't care that it was in front of all her fancy lawyer friends. Yeah, fuck your fancy yeah. lawyer friends. Fuck your cardigans <laughs> and your pearls and your Ogilvy perm. Like. Yeah, I live for scenes like that. And I think what's so great, that's one of those great moments in film, too, where it's like, you can let the character do that. Give us that. That's the escapism we want. That's the fantasy we want to see. We want to see the rape. I mean, when Thelma, when Louise fucking shoots that rapist, you know, people are like, fuck yeah. Like, every woman in audiences across the country went crazy for that, you know. So, and you wanted to, I wanted to see Sarah say something to one of her attackers. Oh, I know. Yeah, like I really, that left me hanging. And I, um, and you know, um, 
Yeah, but the dinner party scene was great. How she just busts in there and that quote you pulled. And I see you also have like no deals in there. I have that written there uh-huh. too. Yeah. yeah. No um, deals. Cause, and and that kind of, that becomes their deal in the end. Like no deals. And I love what Sarah's saying there. She's basically saying no fucking excuses for these guys, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, in the end, that's kind of what they do, I think, succeed in getting that message out a little bit, which is just basically like, there is a responsibility to just a morality that you know when something is happening. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying to you, I watched that rape scene, the rape scene today with like my like email screen like over it, you know, so I could only see just a little bit of side <sighs> bit because you yeah. could tell that you were still in that scene and you could, t- I could tell just from the tidbits of the screen, mm-hmm. the energy of the scene. You know, if you were in that room, you know what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Ew. That's the hard part too, you know. I think like in her, I felt I felt for her friend a little bit through the process, mm-hmm. you know. Like if I tell, I have to go to work every day and see these guys, you know, because she worked like at the bar. It mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Also, the bartender too, when he was being interviewed by the police, he had this attitude of like, "Come on, oh. guys, these are my bread and butter. these are my bread and butter." I wrote it down. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that and the same thing when the lawyer guy says like, "He's." He's a 22-year-old guy with his whole future ahead of him. Mm. I mean, that's like a direct quote from, like, what Brock freaking Turner. Brock Turner. Yeah. Like, that happened, like, six months ago. Yeah. I love, um, like, situations like this when people, they want to recoil from you because what you're proposing is, uh, you know, they either call it unprofessional right. or you're stirring shit up. But it's all coded language for you are speaking against power. And you're trying to change something. So we're going to make it awkward and about you. Right. And you see that so much. And like the fact that they And so much with women. Like specifically. Sure. Yeah. Hello. Hello. But that speech they went into about like, oh, they're a young man with their whole lives ahead of them. It's like, fuck that. They don't deserve to have their whole lives ahead of them if they do something as shitty as that. Because they're going to get older, they're going to do worse shit. Well, and this is what breeds that entitlement. I mean, this is what breeds male privilege, and in this case, extreme white male privilege. You know, because we see this college kid, but we also see these fucking barflies. You know, and like, hey, I spend plenty of time in bars. No offense to my barflies out there, you know. But I think for the sake of this film, they were trying to represent these men at both ends of the spectrum, you know. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so I mean... This is this entitlement. And I mean, this guy, first of all, the, the college frat boy rapist, you know that is the asshole from Goonies. Oh, I didn't know the, that. The, like, jock. It's ah. like the actor is the jock guy from Goonies that, like, you know, Bran is, like, the older brother in Goonies, like, trying to get the redheaded girl. And she's, like, supposed to be hanging out with whatever his name is, jock guy. And they're on the ground, and she sends his Letterman sweater up with the... Anyway, this is like a podcast about other movies now. <laughs> but I was hilarious. like, oh, I hate that guy. He's from Goonies. That's hilarious, though. He always plays an asshole, but like in real life, he's a really nice guy. He probably <laughs> is. He's probably like a doll. He's like John Bon Jovi married to his college sweetheart, high school he's sweetheart like, with like six kids. Everybody hates me. No one asked for my autograph. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also wrote down in my notes just that like Sarah does all the right things. Mm-hmm. She does mm-hmm. all, like, you could literally show what she does and be like, this is what you should do. Yes. And this is how horrible it's going to be. Like, we should be screening this in, like, or at yeah. least the certain elements of it because she, she goes straight to the police. She tells her story. She 
I mean, she just she just does everything right and she continues to stand up for herself. She's unapologetic about who she is. Oh, and that reminds me too, the astrology thing. Because yeah. I had a different take on it, oh, I think, okay. than you. But I really liked it too. So my take on the astrology bit was that it, it kind of was a sense of disassociation for Sarah because every time things got a little tough, it seemed like she wanted to talk about astrology and kind of take the topic in a different way but I'm curious what your take on it was yeah but also you're like into astrology right no. or you oh okay so you're just into disassociation I'm just into disassociation okay because <laughs> when I read that in your note I was like I was like okay so is she into disassociation or really into astrology because I'm really into astrology <laughs> and not so much into disassociation I don't think well maybe well I took it as because I did notice that but I also noticed it wasn't just well, it, it was certainly when she was uncomfortable, but it was specifically only when she was talking to the lawyer. So I also saw it as, because the first time she says it is when the lawyer's in her living room. She's just come to her door and she's kind of Sarah's, like, I agree with you about kind of figuring out what her personality was, but she's just kind of this sweet homie. She's like a stoner, you know, mm-hmm. I totally get it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just wanted her to feel comfortable. And I think I read that as this was her way of trying to kind of, share of herself in a way to like connect with her like astrology like you're because I think another layer to this film that doesn't really get fleshed out so much is is not just the class dynamic but how that also plays into this gender competition dynamic between women right and this like especially Sarah seems like the kind of girl that would never cut another woman down she would look at her more she would agree yeah she's better than me and like good for her I'm not you know, shit. And I didn't think Sarah had that much, like, I'm not shit. She was just kind of like, this is who I am and I'm really into astrology and let me ask you about it. And I loved how they used that to also mirror how the lawyer did kind of look down on her, you know? Mm -hmm. And astrology is such the perfect thing because, like, yeah, many people think it's, like, fluff or not real or not valid and... You know, I don't need to debate anyone on their thoughts on that. But well, and she offered to do her charts for her, which I assume is like which is a more skill like a service. and yeah, yeah, a service and very yeah. in depth. And I think it's also it re- reflects for me one of those things that we don't value about femininity, which is these other ways of connecting with people that women often bring to the table, not because it's necessarily their nature, but the fact that you know it's something aligned with the feminine that is just seen as devalued oh that is so true like when I was a teenager my version of feminist was like to reject all things feminine yeah and like present as super masculine you know and be respected in that yeah. way and now as I'm older I realize like there's a lot of power within being a feminine person and like identifying that way I have noticed uh as I got older, the more feminine my outlook yeah. I, ident- I identify as, the stupider men treat me. Which I'm always <laughs> like, fuck you. Oh, these dudes. Yeah, I think we've all kind of gone through that and it has different levels depending on, you know, kind of your experiences. But, and you see that pattern. I did a lot of research in grad school on um, looking at teen girl identity and you see this pattern a lot of male role models. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you brought that up in this piece, too, just kind of this male to validate our experiences, uh, you know, so like, yes. even when you have, like, say, like a young girl who has this journey of discovery, you're like, yeah, that's yay for that. But who's her mentor? You know, mm-hmm. like, look at the Hunger Games, you know, yeah. it's what's his name is the mentor or like. I show the film Stick It in Class, which is about gymnastics. Oh, and, I haven't uh, seen that. It's great. 
Jeff Bridges is the gymnastics coach. And it's great because who doesn't? (laughs) Um, And he's like, and it, but it's the same thing. You know, it's like you have these empowered female characters that are looking up to men. And what I did like about this is Sarah and the lawyer were, in my eyes, because I definitely see myself more as a Sarah than as the lawyer. Mm -hmm. They were on the same, like kind of on the same playing field. It's just that the lawyer operated in a space perceived as more valuable. But I mean... She, you know, every time she w- walked in that bar, she was so, like, out of it. And, like, mm-hmm. at, maybe it's the second time they're in the bar without Sarah. Or once Sarah's got out to the car and she's like, listen here, fellas, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, great, great <laughs> way to go about this, you know, with your, like, aggressive femininity. I'm yelling, a lady lawyer. Yeah. I've got shoulder pads on. I'm a lady lawyer. <laughs> and I'm going to find the rapist in this room. It's like, jeez, gal. Um, so I do think from that perspective, that part has probably changed a lot. I mm-hmm. would imagine that the rape victims, people are a lot more compassionate. And I think that's kind of a feminist change. Like, I think the second wave of feminism, too, is a really rooted in women mm. still maintaining their tradition, feminine, traditional femininity. I mean, I look mm-hmm. at, like, even my mom has had a lot of struggle with some of the stuff I t- do with Slut Talk. I've taken some, like... Um, nude pictures that have been on the internet and like my grandma I don't expect to get it so Mm -hmm. like she gets a pass but my mom I was like surprised at some of her resistance and we've had to have quite a few conversations about like how is this feminist like Mm -hmm. how is owning your body feminine and I had to figure that out for myself too Mm -hmm. you know you you do and I mean I I, I, just back to the shame thing you know you I'm sure I would go through it again but you know I've been sexually assaulted before not raped but and the first thing I did thought the my first thought was to recount everything I did mm-hmm. you know and that even happens when I get in some kind of like extreme abusive fights with boyfriends which mm-hmm. thank god hasn't happened in a while you know or yeah, I just immediately go into this place of what did I do what did I do what did I do and in this particular type of situations with sexual assault I mean we've built a justice system on exploiting that oh, rather yeah. than like destroying that and that still thrives oh for sure and I feel like this film really uh is a great example of that because you don't see as a viewer the brutal rape scene until Ken on the witness stand tells you so even as a viewer of this movie like you're still trapped in that role of like you can't believe a woman until a man validates it yeah, and I didn't even think about it that way because Sarah doesn't even tell the story until she's on the stand and they don't flash back when she's telling it. No. They flash, They let Ken's voice, quote unquote, be the memory. Yeah. Because you don't, you eventually don't hear his voice anymore and they only cut back to him under, on the stand once and then it's just the scene in the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just from a from a film perspective, that's a fascinating that they did that and I almost wonder if that was conscious to just point out that credibility factor which is huge and I have to say if you haven't read Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Mm. Solnit you have to so good I know and all my friends are like that rape book you made me read but it's just (laughs) it is but it's it's also it's just she's a historian so it's so well researched and she's just like doesn't she have the most like beautiful prose for like an essayist Mm -hmm. but it's like fact after fact after fact but you're like oh my god it's just beautifully written just like recounting of just basically more or less the history of rape like through this lens of like men just discrediting women and Mm -hmm. building themselves off that 
exploitation. Ah, uh, for sure. Deep. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that was exactly what happened with this. I mean, just, and even like we said with the lawyer asking her dude lawyers for advice and then taking it Mm -hmm. instead of being like, no, here's the thing I think I should do as a person who is a lawyer. Yeah. And I feel like that's the other reason I love that dinner party scene so much because I feel like the lawyer is finally understanding as a woman what's going on. She does. She gets it. Oh, I. Oh, I also thought this was that another part with that. Like, um, uh, when she's talking to the friend, she's like, "She's your friend, Sally, or whatever." And mm-hmm. I wrote in my notes, I'm like, "Also, a person. Like, yeah. this is the whole thing, right? Like, you have this room full of people watching this happen mm-hmm. to a person." I wrote that down too. She's your friend, right? <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. Um, so, and also like. Just for Sally as a character, how the fuck could you go back and work at that bar knowing what happened there? Wouldn't you be concerned for your own safety in that workplace? Yeah, but I mean, I think that it, it, that speaks exactly to this culture because, I mean, back to the class element, back to who knows what her situation is. You, there might not be any other bars in that dang town, you know? And you think about, like, these women who that get when when we speak about them staying with like abusive partners it's like you know nothing you know yeah you know Mm -hmm. that's just kind of one way to look at it right but I have definitely I've quit bars and I've gotten fired for not falling in line and I've been really lucky because I've lived in places where I'm like there's always another bar you know Mm -hmm. my reputation hasn't gotten to me yet but I fear it will sometimes I fear I and I'm I'm confident especially in Chicago because it's such a small city where the bar mm. scene is concerned and I call it the wooden ceiling you know because oh. bars are made of wood yeah it's huh. real sexist uh. developing that but I'm mm. I'm certain I've like not gotten jobs because like guys mm. who own bars have been like uh she's a she's too much to handle oh. she's a firecracker she's got moxie yeah <laughs> no grab ass with this one. Oh jesus uh so I'm curious any final thoughts on uh the accused well, I I do think it's just kind of interesting just that in the end, they don't prosecute the rapist for rape based on this like legal counsel and this idea of like, if you actually want to send them to jail, mm-hmm. how we have to kind of finagle the language of the law and what punishment looks like. And that's where, you know, Sarah is upset because she's spoken for. So they end up, the lawyer ends up, um, I, I forget the name of it. I was thinking about it the way over here, what she ends up calling it, or what the title for reckless endangerment. Reckless I think endangerment. It was. Yeah, which is fucked up. <laughs> but that—that's what she gets the bystanders for. Oh no, no, I'm that's sorry. what the rapists go away um, for. But what did they end up prosecuting the bystanders for? I don't remember. I know, the I forget legal the word. It's, it's a legal term for cheerleading. It's basically the legal term for cheerleading, and because of the things that they were saying were so horrific mm-hmm. and completely like egging it on and encouraging. And I don't know if you've seen, just for again, last plug, Tony Porter does this really great TED talk called A Call to Men. And he starts with this anecdote about being like a young man and witnessing like a gang rape and basically these young boys being encouraged to basically like lose their virginity. Oh God. So as hard as it is to get there, like there is an element of like compassion for this culture of masculinity that only knows how to treat women this way, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's where this conversation has always needed to live and really needs to continue to live. Um, and yeah. so I, I thought that was kind of revolutionary about this film. And again, it's based on a real case, but the fact that they kind of brought to light like 
that being in the room, watching and encouraging it. Not that silence is better because the guy does does end up calling the cops and like testifying, but to be there to encourage it, to yell things like, you know, fucker or mm-hmm. whatever, all the things. Or line him. He was encouraging other people to do it. And other people know? to do it. Oh, yeah. And I remember that one line where like, they were they were making fun of the one guy for having a small dick. They called yeah. him like needle dick or something. Yeah. They're like needle dick, you take a turn, blah blah blah. And it's like you can almost get into that and go like, okay, well, so this guy is like the runt of the bunch, and like however in whatever ways he's like shit on by these dudes, and this is whatever he's got to prove, you know? Because you know, there's these two guys who started it, and I'm guessing this third guy kind of jumped in, mm-hmm. like, and he's the one that what fell to pressure you know meanwhile yeah and he did I mean like he's a piece of shit but he did seem hesitant before he started yeah and it, it probably was that yeah. him on that made him do it yeah and you know I don't want to be like before I said you know like we have this view of the film that we're only validating the experience because a man said it but also like maybe at the time it was kind of revolutionary in a way because it was like bringing up the part of a male ally like right he got his friends four more years in prison for coming forward and saying that right yeah for sure it definitely I definitely think it speaks to and I would like to say now more than ever this is needed it definitely speaks to just more men's voices needed in the movement in a way uh, like you were saying as an advocate that empowers you know these women to speak for themselves or at least just like provides a space of like listening to a woman you know and giving Mm -hmm. your girlfriend or your like whoever the women are in your life a space to talk about things because so many women just don't talk about things you know like if I am on my way to like say like a date you know and I get like catcalled you know, it's not like I'm like walking in and necessarily sharing that story with that guy. But if I was like meeting my best friend, I sure would oh, be, yeah. you for know, sure. and it's just kind of one of those things that I think a lot of times it's hard for men. I've this is what I found with men multiple times is they they have this fear around not ha- being able to do anything or also like not knowing enough about whatever the issue is to even like engage, mm-hmm. which I get. But I also like have had plenty of conversations where I've been like, well, what do you want to talk about or what do you want to know about? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, we're here for you if you want yeah. to talk. And in that way, I'm like, honestly, I don't want to sit around and watch rape scenes all the time. No. But I think, you know, given that so many women have had this shared experience and we don't really know how to talk about it collectively, it is important to have these films out there to bring light to that experience and get people talking about it. I imagine this like made quite a stir when it came out in the 1988. Yeah, it must have. Um, I would love. I'd love to talk to Jodie Foster about it. I would love to talk to Jodie Foster anyway. <laughs> I mean, everything. and she was so good in it. <laughs> she was great. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting too because I didn't again just because I teach this film and I know Thelma and Louise came out a few years later and that did cause huge controversy mainly because the men were so kind of not a part of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just the violent response of like the shooting. You just don't see women do that, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this one. And I was trying to remember because I think I saw it in the theater. Like again, another reason it was kind of like a horror movie to me. I think I probably went with my mom and she was like, I'll just close her eyes. 
Yeah, my and mom did like, that too. I know, that never works. <laughs> you mom. still hear it. You hear everything. Ah, oh, gosh. I mean, I have so many notes, but that feels like feels like a lot. Oh, I was, uh, one thing I wrote was like, what about the, when she's getting cross-examined on the stand and the dude lawyer from the defense comes and he like stands Ugh. right, like even, she's, again, she's standing, sitting in the little cubby that you sit in to testify. And this guy like leans up so closely, invading, clearly invading her space. Like I have no tolerance for that, especially mm-hmm. living in Chicago as long as I have and the CTA. And even today I was at CVS and this guy was with his daughter, like toddler daughter, and he's just normal dude, but he stood so close behind me I took a step away and he stepped again and finally I like turned around and gave him a look like Mm -hmm. why do you have to take up so much space that invades my space oh yeah and I read it as the lawyer doing it totally intentionally and I was just like fuck that dude yeah it's an act of intimidation yeah which just kills me because like I get called intimidating all the time and I'm like why what is intimidating about me that I'm talking Sorry, not sorry. Opinions, you're intimidating. I know. Yeah, I also thought the one part that I wrote like an LOL about was because like they yelled at the lawyer, like you just, you just um want to pay back a debt that you owe to her. And I, I was, I wrote down like the law literally exists Mm -hmm. to pay dudes back debts. (laughs) Like dudes paying back other debts to dudes is literally like ninety five percent of litigation and the justice system. Mm -hmm. Like I literally wrote LOL, but it's not funny. All right. Yeah. Good talk. It was. It was awesome. And it was good to revisit, I think. I'm glad mm-hmm. we forced each other to. Yeah, I'm glad you suggested it. I had not seen it, and uh, it's definitely a horror movie. It's, yes. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Very real for all women. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. so what's going on in your life? What do you got going on? This will come out October 10th. Woo-woo. Well, that day we'll be doing Feminist Happy Hour at the Whistler, which is always Second Monday's comedy. And this one, we're debuting the season finale of the Life of the Potty web series. And then Tuesday the 11th, I'm actually doing Chirp Radio's first time series, Up at Martyrs, which is a really fun storytelling show. And then a Slut Talk, November 11th. All the information about Slut Talks online, you can just follow us on the internet. Sweet. What is the website? It's uh, wearesluttalk.com. And then Instagram and Twitter is at underscore sluttalk underscore. Perfect. Awesome. Well, that's been Alicia Swizz. I'm Kristen Ryan. And this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Why are you creeping